Superjackginger.com. All right, guys, we're recording. So today we have Paulo Need. Legendary. What's up? Paulo Need is a god. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, all, he's been mentioned here like three or four times. Yeah, no, Mate. but for real, like, yo, so guys, guys, so Paulo Need trained me when I was playing football for Queens. And yeah, his greatest he, mistake know. is how he describes that one. <laughs> what? No, I'm just kidding, man. What? But no, he's 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 a big, you know, fitness guy in, in the Ottawa community. He's he's um, he you know powerlifter. He trains people. He he does a lot of different things in the fitness community. He does powerlifting, and honestly, like the things that he's accomplished is like so long. I don't even feel like going through right now. We're going to get into that very shortly. Um, but now, can you just um, so Paul? Can you just share with everyone just like um, because I know you had some experience training people in football. Yep. And so I want to just hear more about that, more about, you know, what you've done in training people with football and how it led to powerlifting. So for me, I got my start as a strength and conditioning coach when I was an undergrad at Ottawa U. Yeah. I started coaching a few of the guys uh, to the CFL Combine. A few of them made the league, a few of them didn't. But it was my first kind of attempt at can I prepare people physically for competition? And from there I decided after I graduated, I wanted to go do an internship and learn some more. Uh, so I looked at who won the Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year Award. Uh, it turned out to be Ron McKeefrey at the University of South Florida. So I applied for an internship with him and I moved there. Well, I saved up like $15,000 and I moved there for five months. And I was like, I'm just gonna do strength and conditioning. This is what I wanna do. Uh, while I was down there, uh, he asked all of us what we thought gave us credibility. Hmm. Some people was their education, other people was that they played college football. And for me, I, I played basketball, but I was cut in, in university. I played like Sooners football here in Ottawa. I was never a great athlete. I was a great athlete, but never a great sport player. Um, so I was like, well, I better you know figure out something to give me credibility. So I was like, I'm gonna compete in powerlifting because I'm really strong. And uh, as soon as the guys saw me pushing myself as hard as they expected, they knew I expected them to push themselves, yeah. it gave me immediate credibility. Like, hmm. I can turn on the TV on Sunday now and say, hey, that linebacker for the New York Giants, I taught him how to squat. It's pretty impressive. And, and that's simply because he trusted me enough because he knew that I pushed myself that hard. So you're you're your kind of mentor in that situation actually like wanted everyone in the room to kind of like, he was like what is your experience like how like he gave you kind of a task of getting something that the other players can relate to yeah he said he said what gives you the right to ask someone to give their best effort and for me it was if hmm. i'm going to ask someone to give their best effort they better see me giving mine and that's something that really hit home for me so they practice what you preach kind of thing exactly live by example exactly and I try to do that still now like it hasn't happened yet but I hope to coach someone who is stronger than me uh, <laughs> Stu who's on the podcast is pretty close but he's young though like he is young and I'm very old so uh, uh, <laughs> he's, he, got, he's got father time on you he's got father time and he's got uh, a couple extra cheeseburgers in his belly but mm. um It'll, it'll come a time where Stu is stronger than I am, and uh, I'm sure there will come a time when other clients are stronger than me. 
I got I want, got one guy in Quebec City or, or near Quebec City, uh, JC Dubay, who's going to pull 800 very soon. Um, so yeah, some freaks. Wow, but, uh, man, that's been fun. The online coaching is much different than than in person coaching. I'm sure Natu's had me in the <laughs> weight room. Um, yeah, big voice, I would say, big voice, and. Uh, I do miss that aspect, but I was a much different person when I was a strength coach than I am now. I think. Uh, yeah, I, I can actually see it. I can see it in your like in your what was he your swagger. Like he has a different swagger so these what, days. What I think. Would, what would I like, Vance? You like what would a typical like session be? <laughs> I don't know. Just pretend. Um, I just remember what, one my one player of Corey Flude. He, he oh was like, <laughs> he was like, man, does that coffee you're drinking come in uh, come in men's? And then this guy. <laughs> This guy flipped out, but now long story short, man, um, just always be angry. That's basically oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> how it I was always be angry. That's a good thing. So like, I uh, I remember I almost got fired on my first day. <laughs> really? Wait, wait, wait. I almost got fired on my first day because uh, one of the uh, when I came in, so I let's let's backtrack. Here. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. At the University of South Florida, I did an internship for the summer. I was accepted into a master's degree in sports. Uh, in exercise science started that master's degree continued to hmm. pursue strength and conditioning so i was basically working full-time for free and doing a master's degree i got a full-time job in pittsburgh at robert morris university as a grad assistant moved to pittsburgh started a new master's degree oh, worked man. there for two years full-time and went to school when i graduated i spent a few months at home in between student visas, moved back to Florida, worked at the University of Tampa uh, while finishing my degree, and then I got the job at Queens as the head strength coach. So you wouldn't define yourself as a good multitasker? I'm, no. <laughs> I do a lot of things at the same time, yeah. yeah. So um, when I got to Queens, the Canadian sports scene is much different than the American sports scene. So yeah. From a money perspective, from a culture perspective, it's very, very different. Uh, this It can be epitomized in just the fact that in the U.S., um, kids are offered the opportunity to book classes outside of sport time. In Canada, you guys never had that opportunity. You either had to train before class or after class. You couldn't plan your classes around your training. You had to plan your training around your classes. Yeah. So at first, I brought that same intensity with me. And in my first meeting with my intern class, so part of the job at Queens was you had 50 interns who you had to teach, mentor, and essentially design a curriculum for. And I gave them homework before I got there. I emailed them all an article. It was three paragraphs long, and I asked them to read it. And one gentleman didn't read it. Oh dear! Oh, I think I remember this. Yeah. I remember the story. <laughs> so memories. Let's just not name him. Yeah. But uh, I had him do a plank in front of the class while I was speaking. What I haven't mentioned so far is that he had just had shoulder surgery, so he was doing a one-arm plank. Oh my God! And he filed a complaint. So that was bad, and I regret that decision. Mm. But. But a good story. Great story. Yeah. Just a great story. It brings back good memories. Um, I would get uh, I would get 
very nasty emails from campus recreation because we shared the gym with the public. Right. Um, that I was too loud or using profanity or all these things. But to me, that's how that's how you coach. You're you're the thermostat. So as the coach, you set the temperature in the room. So if I want if I want to get the chili hot, I better turn up the temperature. Right. And hmm. uh, and that's what we did. I mean. I don't know how Colin was after I left, but I prided myself on when I was in the weight room, everyone was working as hard as they could. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I don't get that same release anymore. Uh, I don't think I, I wasn't in a good place mentally, and that's part of the reason why I left the, the position. Um, but uh, I do miss it sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, like, um, I mean, you really influence people that went, that coached under you. Like, I hope so. People yeah. are still talking about you, right? Oh. So, do you find that like since that kind of that style of coaching has changed, do you do you feel like that's better or like do you think if you went back today you'd have that same mentality or do you think you would approach it with like a, a different mentality? There's a lot of things that I would keep the same. The fact that I'm this thermostat in the room would, would not change because cool. as the coach, you are you're the energy. You set the tone. So if if you need to have a heavy squat workout that day, you better bring it. Right. Because if you want everyone else to bring it, you got to bring it. And because uh, they're they're university like this is Canada, right? Mm-hmm. So like some of them might be writing exams and midterms. You don't know if everybody had a full night's sleep. Exactly. So it's like the energy. Like again, like you said, because we don't plan around our athletics, we plan around our school and fit in our athletics. Like you're tired. I remember like when they used to try to get me to train in season. And it was like, yeah, you got a 6 a.m. workout. And I'm like... Yeah, you can't expect a guy or a girl to be up at 6 a.m. after studying all night and want to put their best foot forward. It's all well and good to say, hey, you're an athlete and this is your responsibility. But that's just not feasible. Um, and, and that's not a knock on the player. That's not a knock on the athlete. It's just a, in the nature of the beast. And it's your responsibility as a coach to, to get them to that level. Right. Um so that wouldn't change. The way that I would do it would change. Um, I don't think there was any question when I was uh, in any of my coaching jobs that I cared deeply for everyone that I coached. And, and that's that's the truth. I still maintain uh, relationships with a lot of them. Um, you know, not, not even just the pros. Like, you know, I've been invited to players' weddings and stuff like that. And, and to me, that's like the ultimate, uh, the ultimate compliment. But uh, that and that wouldn't change. I think it would just be the approach that I would take. Maybe soften it a little bit. Um, be more cognizant of when when you said uh, other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah when, when you said when you said like um, they're working as hard as you can. Would one of the softer things be like the recovery and aspects like that? Would you got like would you do like German volume style back in the day or would you? Still- no, the like the way that I would train them wouldn't necessarily change. I, I've learned a lot since then. Yeah. Um, but I don't think the the way that we trained would vary greatly. Okay. It would just be my demeanor in the weight room would change. Right. The way I interact interacted with staff would change because when I was there, it was a completely different situation than it was for my my replacement. I was a unionized employee mandated to only work thirty seven and a half hours a week. Well, if I have fifteen teams and they each want to train three times a week. Oh, that's man. already 45 hours. 
At that point, I haven't done any admin work. I haven't done any programming. I haven't, I haven't taught my class every week to the interns. I haven't planned their curriculum. And I haven't had any meetings with any sport coaches. So in my first month, I had 173 hours of overtime. And I would get in trouble for that. And then I would get in trouble because I wasn't spending enough time socializing with staff. And it's just not feasible given the circumstances in which I'm working. You can't be upset at me because I'm working too many hours and then ask me to stay on my own time to socialize with people. Right. So I just got burnt out. Yeah. And uh, the overwhelm, the, the overarching reason why I left is that I got to a point in my life where I could not say that I was able to give everything I could to the student athletes. And as soon as I wasn't able to say that I was doing that, in my opinion, it would have been unfair to continue to do that job. For sure. I like that. And I like the way you said, like, you you prioritize the right thing in terms of giving your time, giving your, yeah. you know. But one thing I'm wondering, though, is is, is this kind of, like, an indication of, like, students or Canadian student athletes and, and just, like, the quality of training that is allowed because of funding in Canada as opposed to America? You know, like, it may be something big, you know. Canada is caught between the European model yeah. and the American model, where they want to have this grandiose spectacle of the American model, but they also want to have the research-based, science-based approach of the European model. Now, the American model is, is bringing in that science approach. Going back to just practicality, so if I was to introduce some type of data collection mm -hmm. with a team, say that's 40 student athletes, say it's a soccer team, right. I introduce some type of data collection. When am I going to have the time to analyze and implement that data? I will not. Because you would like, just for like people who are listening, it's like there's, even if it was like simply as a, a running test, that's like you have to look at everybody's pattern you have to notice patterns within everybody's running thing. Yep. And it's not like those patterns are mapped out for you. It's like you have to find everything yourself. Yeah, so just take like a GPS. Yeah. Um, so GPS is a technology used to track uh, exercise volume within a session. So this is used during practice and during training. So if I used a GPS system with soccer, I would have to look at each athlete's individual work volume then I would have to look at how do I modify training volume to allow enough recovery for uh, game and practice volume? How would I work with the coach to make sure that he's not going over his allotment of volume? How would I make sure to report to him that I'm not going over my allotment of volume? That's time. Mm -hmm. and, if, and it's all well and good to say, hey, yeah, we're using GPS. Are we using it to the best of our abilities? The answer would be within the constraints that I had placed upon me, no. Yeah. Could I have taught an intern to do that? Probably. But then when would I have time to teach then that intern? Then you gotta intern? teach the intern. Right, so... It sounds like data science. It doesn't sound easy. No, like, it's not easy. And it is data science. It's just... So so in Canada, there, there needs to be... I don't necessarily think there needs to be more money because uh, people get paid well. Yeah. There are some positions like... Uh, I know that you know the, the individual that replaced me. His name's uh, his name is Colin. He does he did a fantastic job. He's implementing some of these data calculation uh, devices, and he's doing a great job. 
but he also has an assistant. Um, he's not a unionized position, so he's able to better manage his time, uh, and he has more resources. I don't think a lot of schools are in a position to donate to to dedicate the type of resources to higher staff. Oh, you look at Waterloo. Like when Sam was at Waterloo, yeah. he was a football coach, he was a teacher, and he was a strength coach. Yeah, and he got paid peanuts. Yeah. I made more in his semester doing a one-day seminar. That's awful. Yeah, like it, and it's and that's a university. That's you know a, what I mean? Waterloo, like, Waterloo University. Yeah, it's not a joke, right? Like the fact that he was in. Let's all call out Waterloo. <laughs> There's other schools that are in the same situation as Waterloo. That's right. But, um, Have you seen their football team? Though? I mean, they're, they're, they use a lot of drugs, from what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't want to burn any bridges. I was like, no, I was no like, to be I was like, it's like, all right, just don't put up your hand if you've done any drugs, and it's like the whole room just no. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's a, there's definitely a cultural, a culture issue with inter-university sport. Um, and like, you, and it's funny because you can tell the schools that are better at it. Like, yep. you go to a program like Laval, where they, no? Laval's football coach owns the team. Yes. So oh, he's got money. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly it. Their football team ru- is run in a way that it, it's run like a business. Carlton's a little bit like that, it's too. It's very similar with the old Crows Society yeah. uh, running their team, and, and Carlton's doing some great things. Uh, the University of Ottawa, I mean, they had a good they system slips. when I was there because they had all the Sejep guys. Right. Like, I remember guys on the team, like, 33 years old. Yeah, we... It was great. It, it took a... Damn. There was this uh, There was this year... We, we were doing pretty good with the Sejep, and then the new rules came in where it was like, you know, you can't play beyond 25. Mm-hmm can't have kids and be on the team <laughs> wait actually no 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 you can't okay. but it was like there was jokes like we yeah. used to talk about it it's like you can't be like somebody's father well, like, think of it age. this way you come in at 17 let's say you yeah. were like one of those early birthday right out of high school you're a linebacker the starting linebacker is 29 years old has a kid full-time job and he's just in it to the semester to play football you know what I mean? Like, that wasn't uncommon back in the day. That's great. Yeah. Like, it reminds me of Sooners, man. It played Sooners. Dude, we had some grown men on the team. Yeah. Like, like it's yeah. men, you know? Like that's, that's messed. And there's like, but, look, but I don't know, man. Yeah. And there's, they're, like, man strong, too. There's a difference between, like... I feel bad for the like, guys in that locker room, you know? Oh, man. Damn. You must so, feel like a child. Well, like, yeah, I was yeah. on the very sure. edge of it. Like, I was at the very end of it, and yeah. then, bang, it was gone. Like, you know what I mean? And, and, it, and the transition happened fast, right? There was a couple guys oh. who got grandfathered. Wait, when did you play? When did you play again? My first year was 2011. 11? Okay, it was yeah. one year before me. Fuck, I'm yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two years graduated by then. All right. Damn. Well, enough enough about uh, Canadian sports. No, I was going to ask before we go on, though. Like, yep. can right. you explain the, uni- the unionized thing? Because um, like, really, I don't really get the whole unionized thing. Sure. Yeah. So um, staff members at Queen's, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but when I was there, uh, are part of a workers' union. Mm-hmm. So um, unions are, are put in place to pr- protect workers' rights. Mm-hmm. Very common in the trades. Uh, but the strength and conditioning job was a unionized position. So there are certain rules that that person has to abide by to make sure that... Oh. It, it, it's they, it's about they keeping claim, everything fair. Yeah, it, oh. they claim it's to keep everything fair and to keep my rights protected, but yeah. it actually worked against me in that situation. That's so funny. Because of yeah. the responsibilities of the situation. Yeah. Damn, that's interesting. Yeah. So, and in my in the defense of Queens, 
I did not do a good enough job advocating for myself and what I needed to do the job properly. Right. And that's something I definitely would have changed. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about the positive things, man. Like, yeah. So, one thing, Chris. <laughs> no, because I liked it there. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, I mean, one thing is that I remember he was training me through my shoulder surgery, like yes. I was about to have. Yeah. And then it's kind of interesting because Colin was after the surgery. Yeah. Onid was before the surgery, so it was kind of. So like I learned that like I still do the squat with the finger yeah. thing, whatever. But now I was just going to ask, how did, what are some things that are in common and are different when you train guys who are in football and when you train guys who are just, you know, just to personal train people, just to so, train people in powerlifting? What are some differences? This is something that I was taught very early on uh, by the first real mentor that I had. So uh, I, I was interning with Ron McKeefery, yeah. who is, uh, I believe he's moved on from coaching. He's more of a consultant now. Um, but a gentleman that worked under him as his associate director is Frank Wintrick. Mm -hmm. Frank is currently the head football strength and conditioning coach at UCLA. Mm -hmm. cool. uh, he's been at Virginia, uh, Utah State, Arizona State. Not a bad school. BYU. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he is a fantastic uh, strength and conditioning coach in person. And, and Frank taught me the probably the most valuable lesson that any strength coach should know is that what we do in the weight room is a means to improve the field. You shouldn't be married to any one tool because that's all it is. It's a tool to build the athlete so that the athlete can play football or can play soccer or baseball or whatever. So when you are, when I'm doing personal training, I take that same approach. I say, what is the desired outcome that I'm trying to get from this person? Oh, okay. And what tools should I use? What tools are appropriate for them? So you gave the example of when you were ha having shoulder surgery or preparing to have shoulder surgery, Natu couldn't get under a, under a barbell, so and we were asking him to squat, uh, and I believe front squats just didn't feel good for him. So what I did is we changed the way his hands were positioned on the bar, which allowed him to get under the bar. Had I been married to the fact that you have to have your hands in a certain way on a barbell to squat, it wouldn't have worked for you. In the same in the same breath as if my mom wanted to deadlift maybe we don't get my mom to straight bar deadlift maybe we get her to trap bar deadlift or dumbbell deadlift or even you know plate good morning or some type of other hip hinge movement there are many ways to skin a cat yeah and you have to look at the person and the outcome and then look into your toolbox and see what tools you can use so that, that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Well, it, it doesn't sound like the structuralist uh, well, argument. No, it, it just sounds yeah, exactly. I mean, so it know? sounds like two things. It's like from a again, like from a, like a natural bodybuilding perspective, it's like people have this idea of like you know bench, squat, mm -hmm. uh, deadlift, and it's like you know Phil Heath is like, I don't deadlift. You know what I mean? Like one of the best bodybuilders in the world right now doesn't deadlift, and it's like you have to look at the gym as like. For bodybuilders, it's like you just need to apply enough force to cause growth, yep. right? Um, but, and then, you know, like my whole life, even some of my later strength and conditioning coaches were like, you know, well, man, like your knees aren't uh, parallel when you squat. So like my whole life, I forced myself to have like straight, straight knees. Mm. And then Benny oh, Burke, yeah. one day he's like, well, why don't you just put your knee over your toe? And I was like, well, because my entire life I was told that that's bad for you. Like mm -hmm. it's bad form. And then I did it, and I got in the hole in, like, two seconds, and I was able to do, like, under 90-degree squat, and it felt good, and my my load didn't go down at all, and my weight actually, in fact, went up. Mm -hmm. And it was just, like, it's it's just interesting to see. It's, like, 
that I think that's the right approach because they're all tools. It's all like your ability to apply, like what I think that's such a good way to say it. Like, what is the goal? Like, yeah, you know that's what I the mean? only thing that matters. Is, yeah, is what am I trying to prepare this person for? Right, and like as powerlifting, it makes sense. You got to deadlift, you got to bench, and you got to. Yeah, but you know what? You don't really have to. Whoa. Oh, okay. Like. So, for example, like if I'm if I'm in the off season, yeah, very rarely do I perform a competition squat, bench press, or deadlift. Okay, I perform variations of those movements. As I approach to the competition, then I reintegrate the competition movements. Now, it, so it's, work from general to specific, but it's just a matter of being tied to a means. That's right. what it is. It's just a means to an outcome. Yeah. So, whatever that outcome is. It's dependent on that person. So I'll give you an example. We'll use me. If I competition squat multiple weeks in a row, I've, I quickly develop elbow tendonitis. Yeah. So what do I do? I either high bar squat or I safety bar squat to take the stress off my elbows. I'm still squatting, but I'm not competition squatting. So you're still working, like, because, like, the main thing with, and I could be wrong, so feel free yeah. to correct me, like, with my, like, with power lifters, it's about like you have to maintain the skill. That's what's about while getting yeah. stronger, yes. right? So like the trick of it is is like you need to work. You can't deviate so much that you lose the skill, right? But you need to add variation to not overuse like from systemic fatigue. Like everything can kind of like you don't yeah, know what's let's gonna just, go. Yeah, let's just let's put aside the the the. F- fatigue or like the overtraining right for a second because that's, yeah, yeah. that's complete other conversation okay but let's okay. just look orthopedically okay so you were completely right you want to maintain the skill and the more you deviate from the skill without revisiting it the more chance that has to happen so you also need to remember that loading matters hmm. so if i choose a variation that forces me to use such a low threshold of load the less i will be likely to main- maintain my maximal strength but if I'm 27 weeks out from a meet, who gives a shit how much I can lift? Nobody. They give a shit that day on the meet day. Right. But if that movement allows me to build up some type of quality that I was missing, that when I return to the competition movement I can integrate, then I'll be okay. So there's a lot of strategies that I use with lifters to, to maintain that, that groove. One thing is like, so in powerlifting, typically people will squat low bar. Right. Yeah. So the first deviation I'll use is just a high bar because it takes the stress off the shoulders, but still allows you to squat with a relatively similar pattern. Then we'll go to like front squatting or safety bar squat, or um, you can go into like a zercher squat if you really hate the person <laughs> um, or use specialty bars. Yeah. But as long as you're still squatting, it's going to be relatively the same move. But on deload weeks or interspersed, I will perform the competition squat. Mm-hmm. So for a beginner lifter, I won't deviate as much. Right. But for me, I know how to squat. I'm not going to forget how yeah. to squat. You yeah. Squat it actually did. I did forget how to squat recently just after the injury. But, um, I, you know, I reintegrated myself and I was able to relearn the pattern. But so if I, if I competition squat once a month, I'll be okay. Yeah. If I have a beginner lifter who's you know still not really sure how to squat, well, he's got to learn the movement. Yeah, maybe we stick with the competition squat. Yeah. And likely, if he's a beginner, he's not strong enough to give himself dysfunction. Right. 
So that's like even like we talked about this before, like motor unit recruitment. He doesn't yeah. even know how to use his full strength. Exactly. Yet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Damn it. So lots of, lots of ways we can go about that. Yeah. So I mean, I guess you can you can over specialize by absolutely. So you can over specialize by neglecting different like as mu- muscle groups or whatever yep. that can you know help you even more, help you push that weight even more. Come yeah. the competition. Well, time. I like the idea that so, he said that it was like you know like maybe if his like his worst point is his like pause at the bottom like would you use like a pause squat like to help him work on that skill to integrate it in or something like so that? i'd like to characterize accessory movements as either weak point uh, addressing weak points or addressing position okay so pause work to me is positional work okay so if i'm if if a if a lifter has trouble establishing tension in the bottom well then yeah it makes sense to have them pause in the bottom get comfortable in that position so yeah. they're they're improving position. So he could like pause in a front squat as like a yeah, variation. Yeah, pause in a front squat. Yeah. That's great. Uh, and that would accomplish. So the other thing I would say is like, okay, maybe he has uh, or he or she has an issue with embracing the midsection. Why not use a front squat because it forces you to create more, more midsection stability to perform the movement properly and integrate a pause. Now we're accomplishing two goals at the same time. Hmm. I'm a big believer in front squats. So most of my big squatters will use shouldn't say most the ones that it's appropriate for will use a lot of front squats i personally use a lot of front squats in my program um because if you have a big front squat you're going to have a big back squat it's just but some people are contraindicated from the front squat you know if you've had shoulder surgery you likely won't feel comfortable in a front squat if you are uh, a individual of advanced size you will likely not like front squatting because it'll choke you. And when you're talking about front squat, you're talking, you're talking, like clean, they can't see me. Clean but. grip or like a, a cross arm. Exactly. It doesn't really matter. Okay. Um, like sure. Smaller guys will be able to, to clean grip or girls will be able to clean grip. Um, personally, I can't do it, so I just cross my arms. Um, but you hit on a, an interesting point. It's over-specialization. Yeah. So, and it kind of ties back into what you were saying about um, motor unit recruitment. So in order for someone to get stronger, they need to get more coordinated. As a beginner, most of your strength gains are gonna come from increases in coordination. We also know that repeated exposure to a stimulus improves motor unit uh, integration and coordination. So there's a lot of programs now being put together where, where guys and girls are squatting three, four times a week, benching four or five times a week, deadlifting two, three times a week. Is that in like a beginning phase yeah, kind of thing? It, it, it will undulate over time and, right. and will, will alter but so that's a lot of exposures now that works really well for small weak people as soon as you start putting any type of significant load you have to look outside of the central nervous system and you have to look at the orthopedic stress you're placing on the body a low bar back squat so you're looking at external rotation like a forced external rotation of the shoulder and then you're going to go load it in a bench press and then try and activate the the scapula properly on a deadlift that's a huge demand on the body within one session Um, as a younger lifter you can get away with those things but if you're worried about squatting and you're worried about integrating movement patterns why not use variation why not use one day you're going to barbell squat, then on your deadlift day, you goblet squat. You're still squatting, but you're not putting a bar on your back. You're still gonna improve that squatting pattern. 
So there's ways to introduce frequency without over specifying yeah. and placing orthopedic stress on the body. And just like I'm just in case he's talking about joints when you say yeah orthopedic. orthopedic so yeah. yeah joints. Yeah. So I, I like yeah. So he's like so there's like like for the layman it's like joint and like overall like tiredness on the body are the yeah. two main things that you want to try to so you look manage. at you look at central nervous system fatigue being like uh your coordination your how quick you can produce force yeah um and then from an orthopedic perspective you look at joints ligaments tendons even even the muscles and you look at peripheral fatigue so the accumulation of uh, lactate, delayed onset muscle soreness, and things like that. If I like, if you asked me to squat four times a week, I would injure myself so quickly. Because you squat a million pounds, right? Well, like, like so, if my max back, let, let's use like, let's would... use like a max, uh, like, unequipped squat. So, like, I, I usually competition squat in knee wraps. Yeah. So if you take the knee wraps off, my best squat in knee sleeves is seven sixteen. So. 65 60% of 716 is in the high fours. 60% is low volume, is low intensity. Yeah. But that's still 450 plus pounds on my body. Right. Now if we're looking at, you know, accumulating strength, we're usually looking at that 70 80 85% range. Jesus. Like yeah. So I'm looking at mid like low sixes. You're gonna ask me to squat in the low sixes multiple times a week. I'm gonna tell you to GTFO. Yeah. You know, like Amen. it's not gonna happen. I, I gotta worry about the rest of my life. Exactly. Yeah. Not to mention that if I'm doing that, I'm in a low bar position. My elbows are getting trashed. How am I gonna be able to push my my bench press? How am I gonna be able to push my deadlift if my lower back is fatigued from all the squatting? Yeah. So I mean, I guess. So would you say like the? Because I was looking at this a few days ago. Would you say the splits? Like just you know having more of a split routine rather than full body yep. routines yeah. helps you recover faster. So it, it works a couple different ways. So we know it. it w- I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw the elephant in the room here. Yeah, let's do it. If you have an enhanced athlete, yeah, they can perform more work yeah. and recover from more work, but the amount of work that they're going to do takes longer to recover from because it's so much. We know that drugs tend not to affect the central nervous system. So for accumulating all this volume, it's still going to take time to recover. Okay. We also know that if you're drug free, you don't maintain your fitness as long. So you're going to need more repeated exposures, but you don't recover as well. So those exposures have to be smaller, but you need a larger stimulus to get stronger because you're not using drugs. So like, so it's a balance that you have to play. If, so splits work well. Yeah. I like to introduce some type of full body into the, into all days. Yeah. So if you're doing a bench workout, you might do some lower body accessories, maybe a little bit of lunges, maybe like a couple sets, but just to get the lower body involved. If you're doing a, a squat day or a deadlift day, well, let's do some upper back work. Nice. I like that. You I know. Do, yeah. So um, let's get more musculature involved. So typically my athletes will train between four and five days a week. Mm-hmm. Most of them will squat either once or twice. Most will bench two to two. I have, I think one person who benches three times a week, um, but they're like very beginner. Uh, and very few will deadlift more than once a week. 
if they do deadlift more than once a week, it's a variation, and it's lightly loaded. So I'll do like a Romanian deadlift or something like that. Oh, and I'll do the uh, same to help build up the hamstrings and glutes. Yeah. And this is like primarily for the goal of increasing strength. Yeah, this would be like maximal strength uh, powerlifting application. Yeah. Um, I do. I do still train some athletes. Uh, I was still training a few CFL guys. Um, currently training a javelin thrower, trying to make the Olympics nice. uh, in 2020. So you know, I still do train some athletes, and they use much different means than my powerlifters. Yeah. Um, one thing I do that I think is a little bit different is like I'll give structured warm ups to all my guys. We do a lot of corrective exercise. Um, Accessory work is primarily single, single limb or like single leg or single arm. Isolation. Uh, a lot of a lot of isolation work. A lot of uh, a lot of core work. We work our midsections very hard, um, and it, that's the goal of keeping you structurally balanced and healthy. That's going to be the difference in longevity. I'm seeing a common theme of you train people that, sorry Sam, but are actually athletes. You know what I'm saying? They're actually yeah. like, you know, they're doing something. You, you, no, I so used have to you, do stuff, man. I used to do. Yeah, I remember. Lot, I remember. Captain like, of a football team, man. I, I remember, man. Thanks, bro. And, no, I'm and, just gonna be under this bus. <laughs> <laughs> what was it six years you were playing ball, right? Like uh, it was a while. Like how long did I play? Yeah, yeah I played. Uh, well, for university, I played six years, but I started football when I was twelve, and that's I finished a, when I was twenty. Six years. That's a minute. No, no, no. Van Wilder. <laughs> yeah, uh, general <laughs> arts degree too. So yeah, you know, perfect. I used it well. Perfect. Classic. Yeah. I, I learned more after. Anyways, keep going. Man, man, what was I saying? No, I was just saying how um, you train bodybuilders, or and how is um, how is this, that like? You know? No, I don't. Okay. I don't have any bodybuilders um, on uh, on my roster right now. To be honest, I I'm trying to word this properly. I don't know enough about bodybuilding as a sport. To feel confident preparing someone for a competition, like the cutting and stuff. Um, like if you want to lose weight, we could do that. If you want to, if you want to drop weight classes, we could do that. If you want to go up weight classes, we could do that. Hmm. But to actually prepare someone for a bodybuilding show, I've never done it. I'd be, I'd love to try. But if someone was going to pay me what I charge, I would not feel comfortable accepting that money. Gotcha. I think I think they would be much better off hiring someone with more experience, and I think that like not to pump my tires, but I think I think that speaks to the quality of a coach, is if they're able to say, maybe there's someone better for you than me in that, like I'm gonna stay in my lane. Yeah, you know, if you want to get better at playing football, we can definitely talk. If you want to get better at playing a sport, we can talk. If you want to go step on a stage, go get somebody who's done that before. Like I, I do a lot of diets for people, yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of my lifters will use me for diet as well. So I'll do their diet and their training, and make sure that that's that's jiving together. Um, the other thing with bodybuilding is like the training for bodybuilding. I think is like fifteen percent. It's diet. Oh it's, yeah, oh, it's, yeah, it's no, diet. it's diet. Yeah, like, um, well, like. Yeah, no, I totally agree because it's like you always have to. I feel like your powerlifters might have some the same thing. It's like you know, it's like making sure you're getting your macros, yep. making sure like you're getting your micronutrients and stuff. Like if you're an athlete and or a bodybuilder, you eat the same way. It's just the strictness of it and then the dieting. That's that's the difference. Like 
you probably bulk your guys up the same way a bodybuilder bulks his guys right. up, but just with the intention of with you, you're you're like bulking with. Listen, you're gonna put on size, but the main goal is strength. With us, it's like you're putting on size, and a part of that is getting stronger. Yeah. It, the other thing too is like, so I've been through the dieting process. Like, I hired a bodybuilding coach to diet me down. Yeah. One of the first things that we did was eliminate intra-workout nutrition. So he didn't have me drinking any carbs during training. And that's something that I wholeheartedly believe for powerlifting is, is beneficial. It doesn't have to be a lot, but if you're going to be training for two hours, you got to make sure to maintain your, your blood sugar levels. Like glycogen? Uh, yep. What's that thing? Glycogen? Glycogen, yeah. like, yeah. So, like, uh, you probably, do you ever use cyclic dextrin? Yeah, that's what I use. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. so it's like, um, with with bodybuilders, the thing is, is, like, to be efficient at bodybuilding, this, see, with his guys, they have to train close to 100% recovery. Yeah, like, yeah. You, with power, yeah. from what I understand, like with strength, you need to be about 100% so that when you're training, you're, you're improving your max. It's like a sprinter. It's like a sprinter doesn't jog a lot or they don't like use a ton of like endurance to get better at a speed running. They recover and then they sprint as fast as they can. Yeah. Right? With bodybuilding, if you're at 80% recovery and you're still like putting getting overall volume up it doesn't matter like you can be a little bit sore and still do a lift you know what i mean and like the only time we really kind of pull back is at the end of a mesocycle so like my d i'm in a deload right now and like my deload week is like very chill for me you yeah. know and but that's for the point that when i come back at it i'm like i i'm, I'm actually it's easier for me to get sore again yeah, and, so and you remember the skills we still do like Especially with, with raw powerlifting or non-equipped powerlifting, we need to build muscle to, to lift the weights. Yeah. So I will prescribe more volume than most people. Um, so we train. Our, the difference between, I would say, bodybuilding and powerlifting in terms of the training itself is the training is my means to improve my outcome. Right. The training is a stimulus for you to use the nutrients you're eating. Right. That's so it's a, a different application. It. Yeah. Oh, um, it's completely different. Right. Yeah. So I'm training to get stronger. You're training to assimilate more nutrients. Right. So the style of training will vary slightly. We do do a little bit of bodybuilding work, but it's primarily focused on increasing our strength. When I diet down my guys, intra-workout nutrition is one of the last things to go. Because I want to keep their, their workouts fueled. Right. You want, again, like it's all about keeping that performance. max performance. Yeah. The yeah. performance needs to be there. So I'll drop their macros out away from the training. If it, when I was doing the bodybuilding style work, we took intra-workout nutrition completely out, put it into real food. I still had some branch chains and some creatine and stuff during training. Yeah. But the emphasis was on whole foods outside of training. Yeah. Again, because like. Cyclic is great and it's super fast absorbing, but like the thing is with other nutrients, you're getting other side benefits from it. Yep. And so I actually do use intra-workout carbs, but only for my first workout because I'll train twice a day. Yep, and that makes a, sense. It's about replenishing glycogen at that point. Right. Uh, and I'll actually add like 10, 13 grams of isolate protein, and then I'll do like 25 grams of dextrose because like have any cyclic dextrin on hand and you know i gotta buy what's at my store yeah but like i'm i'm i told like intra workout stuff is is it's such a small 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 part of bodybuilding especially if you're like a, 
maintaining that. Like Ian Valier only trains for an hour. Uh, we were sorry, I, I said that totally out of context. But Ian <laughs> Valier is a local Ottawa bodybuilder who's going to the Olympia, yeah. and he trains for about an hour at a time. He does super high intense volume. You know what I mean? And then if you're only in the gym for an hour, like, do you really need to replenish your glycogen? You stores? don't. And that comes into the the research shows that you will not impact blood sugar levels until an hour of exercise is surpassed. Oh. So if you're only going to train for an hour, yeah. you have plenty of glycogen. And if anything, if you burn off some of it, you're just priming the system for the meal post-training. A lot of our training sessions as powerlifters, because we are resting, because yeah. we are taking time between sets, our workouts become you know an hour and a half, two hours. So typically what I'll say is if your training is under an hour, no intra-workout carbs, every 15 minutes beyond one hour, add 10 grams of carbs. So realistically, I'm my training sessions right now, I'm prepping for a meet, so I'm trying to drive my volume up a little bit. My training sessions are about two hours long. I have 50 grams of carbs during training. I just sip it during training. Um, and then I'll eat a real meal after training. Be that's the other thing too, is if I'm already if you're already driving your recovery during training by supplementing with carbohydrates, you don't need to have more sugars post-workout because your insulin's already high and you've maintained your blood sugar levels with the exogenous carbs. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good, like, yeah, like, it's all spot on. Like, if I only did one training session, like, might do an EAA, but, like, yeah. I do, I eat two hours before in the morning, so... You know, in a perfect world, I'd love, like, a high-fat breakfast, whatever, but I can't. Yeah, if you're going to train, you don't want that. Right, exactly. So at 7 a.m., I'm training at 7, so I'm up at 5. I have, like, egg whites, oats, uh, maple syrup, and some berries. Yeah. And I do that about two hours before I train. And mm -hmm. then while I'm training, the only reason I'm taking in carbs is so that my, like, my, my workout later. So I do, like, my big big lifts in the morning so I'll like bench incline bench press and then do dumbbell flies and then I'll come back later in that day and I'll do like dips cool. uh, curls and like flies yeah. oh sorry uh, lateral raises and the reason being is that my accessory work isn't fatigued by my my pri my, right. my uh, your main bench big movements yeah. yeah you're also getting more stimulus for growth because you're getting multiple exposures to exercise so you're you're Get, becoming more insulin sensitive all throughout the day you're probably able to drive more nutrients into your muscles so training twice a day has a, a ton of benefits like if you're able to do that yeah but uh, it's, it's definitely hectic like i'll say that like oh, it's, it's stressful yeah it's very stressful and like but like i got i have a goal on nationals and yeah man you know what you gotta like, do what you gotta do exactly so like i don't i don't really mind i always say my spirit animal is a mole and I just like comes out of his hole, looks around once in a while, goes back, eats, trains, stays in his little. Sounds like me, man. Yeah. All the work and, and, and stuff. But yeah. I'm, I'm very lucky. I have a very supportive spouse. Um, she's a, a high level CrossFitter. Um, she gets we the eat, life. She, we eat the same way. We train hard and um, makes it really easy. Like we all we eat the same foods. So she doesn't let me cook for her because I suck at cooking, but. <laughs> are, you, are you like Mr. I, like you put the chicken on the tray, sling it into the oven? I mean, that's what I do. I just put a lot of sauces on. <laughs> it's fine. No, I, I I tend to overcook my chicken. But it's uh, nice. I really just eat like chicken, beef, eggs, and rice. That's do like you my, do you look at food as energy or pleasure? I do now. Um, 
I do now. When I was dieting, I tried to make it fancy and like put seasonings and stuff on it, but uh, I just feel like happy when I'm eating good stuff, and I feel guilty when I'm eating bad stuff. Well, I have a pretty sensitive stomach now. Mm. Um, it's kind of developed, it's been weird, but uh, so I I stick to the same foods. I've been, since I stopped dieting, I got to like a maintenance, and then now I've been slowly trying to increase the amount of food I'm eating, and uh, I've been kind of experimenting with. Uh, if you're familiar with Stan Efferding's vertical diet, oh, this guy worships yeah, I love this guy. Stan Efferding. Okay, okay, so I know, yeah, yeah. So the I haven't. On the food. No, I haven't been doing that. Oh, okay. But uh, so that's interesting. But hmm. he doesn't actually do it for the carbs. He does it. No, no, it's so you salivate. Yes, yeah, so you salivate so that you more. can get the rice down. Are you serious? Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not about carbs. It stimulates amylase. So amylase, like it, it makes yeah, it makes you spit more. It digests the food in your mouth more. So it makes it easier to eat. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a smart idea. So one thing that Stan advocates is these ten-minute walks, and I, I love I, I love a morning walk. It, it it helps me set the tone for my day. I don't listen to anything. I just go out and I walk along the canal. And um, so one thing I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm actually quite productive in the morning. Why don't I shorten my walk and just take more during the day? I work a sedentary job, so I was like, man. Without my walk, I actually only walk about 2,000 steps a day, which is awful. I'm going to aim for 10,000 steps a day. That's a lot. It works out to about 50 minutes of walking. Okay. Which is not that bad. Um, No, I just meant that's a lot because that's what I usually do in a day. I'm not like purposely walking, but but I'm on my feet. Yeah, Yeah, like talking to customers. How do you know how much you walk around? I had a Garmin for a while. Oh, my phone's real? Yeah, no, 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 your phone. (laughs) Oh, oh, (laughs) your your phone tracks it. Oh, true. uh, What I said is like, I'm going to walk 10,000 steps a day. So as soon as I started doing that, my weight dropped. Like I I lost like four four to six pounds. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to try and see how much food I can eat while maintaining my weight. And I'm up to actually like 300 grams of protein, almost 500 grams of carbs, and 100 grams of fat. So I, and I haven't gained a pound. That's amazing. And I, I love how he like, I heard him in a different interview where he was like, I periodized food. Did you kind of do it like what he did, where it's like you start to get hungry again, so you would start to increase the volume? I actually, I actually haven't increased the volume of my meals. Right. I just added a meal. So I'm eating oh, okay. like about six or seven times a day now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but every time I eat, it's like 40 grams of protein, 50 grams of carbs, and 15 grams of fat. Okay. And then nice. my post-workout meal is actually just 40 grams of protein and 100 grams of carbs. So is... Is that the three to one? Uh, two, about a two to one ratio. Two to one, two to one but yeah. then I have the fifty grams of carbs during training, so it works out to about three to one. Do you add uh, salt intra or post? Both. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I I'm do. doing a lot of salt. Uh, I had always done that. I'd always salted my food like crazy. Um, I still haven't like salted my water or anything like that, but. Uh, so I'll do like I'm gross. So I do like with the dextrose. So I do twenty eight grams of dextrose, thirteen grams of isolate, and three grams of salt. And that's my intro workout. Tastes like sweat. It's a little salty. Yeah. What yeah. if it happens to baby uh, formula or, or like electrolytes or whatever? I eat whatever. baby food too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we, we did it during football. It was nice. Especially during uh, August. Oh, in, Pedialyte. Uh, You're talking about Pedialyte. Yeah, that stuff. It's like a Gatorade, but for babies. Yeah. yeah wait, yeah. but wait. Do you eat baby food? I don't understand. Why do so, you eat? man, baby, baby food's baby, good. Right, I eat, uh, so if I'm in a hurry and I need to get my, my meal in, yeah. I'll put a scoop and a half of well, I'll put a scoop of casein, a half a, a cup of egg whites, and a cup of baby rice cereal. And it just makes it into a pudding. And I just eat that. And I, oh, and I put two tablespoons of almond butter. Interesting. So you, you casein before your workout? 
No, 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 that's just what if I need a meal. Oh, just, okay, yeah, That's like sense. your emergency meal, like yeah. break in case of emergency. Yeah. I just, like, end up eating some of my protein bars and then plan the rest of my day around. If I eat a protein bar, man, you do not want to be around me. Oh, that's not good. You make I, your farts I, smell, I'm actually, yeah, I'm getting terrible. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting that since I actually had to, so, just because of convenience and where I work, yep. I do do, like, a post-workout shake for the first one. Yep. So I use, like, a vegan source that has, like, X added amino acids just to make it a little bit more similar to whey. Yep. And then I do... Um, it's primarily potato maltodextrin. So it's still a sugar, but it's yep. like a slower digesting and it's yep. a little bit easier on my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's all kind of with the I- idea of like getting that, f- taking advantage of that insulin sensitivity. Yep. And you have to train again. So Yeah, exactly. So, but like, no, it's really cool. Like, and they're very, they're so, they're sim, they're so similar in so many ways, but like they're a little bit like I've, I love the differences between powerlifting and bodybuilding. Like, I know that's nerdy, but it's like they're so small, but like it's oh, it's the nuance. Yeah, there's there's a lot of beauty in the nuance, and uh, the biggest benefit that I've seen in my training is because I've focused on my nutrition. And, oh, hundred uh, percent. Like, yeah. I don't have bad workouts anymore because I'm not fueled. Okay. Like, I I have bad workouts because I'm not recovered for whatever other reason. Because hmm. I have five jobs and I don't sleep. Yeah. So sleep is sleep is huge. I dude. I actually uh, about a year and a half ago I got a CPAP. What's, what's that? It's uh, the breathing machine when you sleep. Really? That's really that's not for people that are sick or something. Or it's usually for people who are like very obese. Yeah. Okay. But huge. if you have a 17 inch neck or larger, technically you have sleep apnea. Oh. So your big ass shoot. neck over here. Oh damn! You might, you might. Choking yourself while you sleep. So I was actually damn. waking up quite often during the night and holding my breath. So it would damn. wake me up really often. So as soon as I got the CPAP, I was able to get into deeper sleep, and my recovery went through the roof. Oh, yeah. His neck is bigger than your legs. <laughs> Yo, man, I, like, no, they're bigger than my arms, but not bigger than my legs. No, I still yeah. Your leg, feel. your quad should be as big as your waist. I got 20, I literally just measured it for my coach. So I think I got like 25 and a half inches, and my arm is 16 and a half, so your neck is bigger than my arm. Which as a bodybuilder, I should just have 20 inch arms. Jesus. When I was big, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When you're a big. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This guy, like, we'll we'll show him the video. He's not small. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, like, he's a let. So, one one thing I was thinking about, because maybe around, like, just 10 months ago, like, I started learning about nutrition, learning how to eat properly and stuff. Because, like, if you remember me, like, I didn't know anything about that. I was just like. I you remember know, you used to buy Costco protein bars and just eat them all day. Yeah, yeah, and sardines, yeah. Yeah, so that's really right. You can't, I can't even, like, I I was just, like, you know, when you're young and you don't really understand it, it was, when I played ball, it was, like, always, I was always trying to get bigger, and it was always just, am I eating enough? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It didn't matter what I was eating. Like, that's why I love Stan Efferding, and I love that whole concept of even even his, like, nutritional food, like, even the idea of eating easily digestible but high in nutrient like you know like the red peppers but you boil them so that there's zero issue with digestion you know what i mean so it's like i don't take everything that he does but i do think a lot of what he says makes a lot of sense to me yeah we had dinner with stan uh he was in town doing a seminar for good life Uh, myself and my business partner uh yeah good life um in um the new one yeah that one yeah Yeah, i saw saw pictures so we had dinner with stan and and talked about diet quite a bit and uh nothing stan says is new it's just he's 
packaged it in a way that's very easy to follow. And we know that the best diet for someone is the one that they'll actually follow. Consistency, like consistency over yeah. time, adherence yeah. is what will give you success. You could jump on any diet in the world. The only reason if you, it will work is if you're eating in a caloric deficit, you'll lose weight. And if you're eating in a caloric surplus, you'll gain weight. It's just how do you do that with the diet? So his is, we're going to eat highly digestible foods. We are going to use fruit juices sporadically throughout the day to stimulate you know, iodine and, um, and liver health with fructose. And we're going to do this post-workout shake. We're going, to, we're going to rush sodium into the body. We're going to do 10-minute walks. And it's a very easy template to follow once you have it laid out. And he does a great job in his book. Hmm. Personally, I don't, like, I don't like sugars during the day. So I don't do fruit juices. I take a multivitamin. I drink a greens shake. And I do other things to get my micronutrients. Um, but the tenets of the diet, like it's just eat whole foods. So it's somewhat, I was uh, being interviewed for another podcast and they asked me they said what is the number one nutrition guideline that you would give someone if they come to speak to you and it is eat real food if you eat real food food that hasn't had a person's hands on it you will be healthier than someone who doesn't real food has more micronutrients it's it's more satiating so you'll feel fuller it's easy, easily assimilated by the body because it's not something that has a bunch of chemicals in it. You'll ultimately be better off the more real food that you eat. I remember we we asked you during we asked you during football like, okay, so we don't know anything about diet, like what should we do? And then you said, uh, don't eat out, just start by cooking your food. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Because yeah, yeah, it's like the first thing you said when I thought that was cook. If you can cook it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not microwave it, not yeah, heat it up. It. If you cook it, it's probably good for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and if you bake it, maybe not. Maybe that's a muffin. But, yes. like, if you cook it, like... I mean, it's better than getting a muffin from Costco as opposed to, like... Making the muffin yourself. Putting that's your own eggs in the muffin, whipping it up. Well, at least you're yeah. burning some calories while you're making it. You yeah, know what I'm saying? for like, sure. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's fascinating. Natsu hit on a big point, though. It's like, when he was playing football, he needed to know something that's going to help him right away. I said... I gave him a step. I didn't give him a, an instruction, like, eat this. I said, just try cooking your food. And that comes down to, like, behavior change. And that comes down to uh, how do we get someone from step zero to step one? Because that's the hardest thing to do is to start. If you come to me and you say, Paul, I want to I be, like, I want to gain 20 pounds. I'll say, okay, what are you doing right now? Step number one have protein every time you eat. Hmm. Step number two, have a vegetable every time you eat. Step number three, eat four to five times a day. And slowly add on habits that we can build off of. See, that, that, that was like, I had like a, con like, and again, it was just like something I thought of. So I always like to say, I gave rules, not diets. Yes, absolutely. Like, so it was like, you know, like, um, like you said, every meal you have, make sure there's like a bolus of protein, you mm -hmm. know, like doesn't matter what it is. It's just gotta be like, there has to be at least 20 to 40 grams of protein. Like they're not going to count that though. Right. Right. Like, yeah. looking, but do you have any other ways of helping with habits? <laughs> I do. Insert plug. So I've actually yeah. been uh, working on an app myself and uh, Jay Nira is the owner of Dynamo Academy in CrossFit O-Town here in Ottawa. Nice. Uh, one of my best friends. He, uh, he and I have developed uh, an app 
called MetriLife, which is focused on allowing people to track their behaviors over time. And then it teaches them the tools they need to change their behaviors to affect their outcomes. So we're helping teach self-awareness and we're helping people create a relationship between their daily actions and the outcomes that they're experiencing. So that should be launching uh, about December, January. Nice. I'll be on a look at what is it, what's the name again? It was MetriLife. 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 So like, so okay, like let's, let's say I'm an average person. Like, do I have to like fill out like the like the first week? Is that like you just it just you just filling out your habits? And so then you answer you answer questions every day. So you're tracking both objective and subjective measures. Um, and the app has some features built in to give you feedback on them. And uh, based on that feedback and based on the goals that you have, it will teach you how to change your daily habits to affect your outcomes. So once, once everyone's used the app for about one to two weeks, it's personalized for them. So there's elements of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Nice, well. nice. It sounds like, it sounds a bit of, uh, I can hear some mindfulness in there, right? Like kind oh, of, very, very much so, yeah. very much so. So um, if you're familiar with the mental health field, uh, it's a behavioral activation uh, intervention. So it's, it's bringing to light and allowing people to track things that they normally wouldn't pay attention to. And in doing that, it's a call to action, hmm. allowing them to say, hey, well, I only got six hours of sleep on average this week. I need to fix that. You don't need someone to tell you that. Just by seeing it, you know I should be getting seven to nine hours of sleep a night. Well, now you know that what you're getting isn't good enough. So what, will your app actually interface with like like a Garmin or something like that? Yeah, yeah not on launch, but uh, that is one of the first updates that we'll be making to it. Perfect. That's because I was going to say, like, how are you tracking sleep at first and then it's like subjectively at first right so it's like at first it's like okay what time do you go to bed what time do you it's wake important up? to have both though the subjective and the objective are both important because what what the research is showing us is that oh like when i went to bed and how much sleep i got those are different things exactly yeah. the other thing too is so let's take for example hrv you're familiar with hrv so hr oh, hrv is heart rate variability yes. yeah okay so heart rate variability is an indication of fatigue yeah so the more variable your heartbeat, so meaning the wider range of spaces between the beats, mm -hmm. the more prepared you are for exercise because your vagal tone is, is low. So the vagal nerve is an innervator of the heart. And the more energy going through that nerve, the more regular your heartbeat. Mm -hmm. If the tone is low, that means your central nervous system is relaxed. If the tone is high, it means your central nervous system is jacked up and you're probably over fatigued. HRV is a delayed reaction. So you'll, you're already fatigued before your HRV gets affected. Yeah. So that's why if you were tracking subjectively, you would start to feel crappy before your HRV got crappy. Wow. So what we're seeing now is a trend towards looking at the, looking at the subjective metrics and then after the fact, going and looking at the objective metrics to see if they match up. Wow, shoot. I thought it was, I thought it was, too, um, too, I thought it was more of a mental thing to get them to admit what they suck at. 
I didn't really know it was it's both, connected. Yeah. Wow, it's, both. It's, like, it's it's very multifaceted, right? Wow, it's a multifactorial approach. They, they did their research on this app. Well, like, no, because like it's really cool because wow. when you think about it, like one, it's like there's some stuff I do like in the morning. I got really good at waking up at five. Like it's mm-hmm. just a habit. But now my habit is after I eat breakfast, I look at my phone for like 10, 20 minutes. But there's a difference between like somebody me saying like thinking oh I shouldn't be doing this and then like a phone an app like coming up and being like hey listen you spent a lot of time on your phone here you could have been doing yeah we don't have anything to 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 not that but that is a habit that you'd want to break exactly as an example just as an example but it was like having like sometimes you know you're in a rut but like there's something to be said for like an outside view of your life you know what I mean absolutely and it's like if someone were to just like like Sam, what are you doing? No, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, I should yeah. be cooking my. And it's something meal that I used day. to do. Uh, it's something that I used to do with a lot of my athletes is, is track multiple metrics of, of lifestyle. See, how are you feeling? Are you ready to train today? Yeah. Um, and that's another thing. Like I wasn't able to do that while I was at Queens with you guys, just because I didn't have the time to do it. But yeah, you know, it's it's a great way to see, just take an inventory of your life. And uh, so we were like, why couldn't we bring this technology to everybody? And then from there it became, well, how broad reaching could this technology be? How big can we build it? How many different people can we touch with it and influence positively? And it became really, really, uh, really, really big for us. We're making a lot of a lot of traction uh, in a few key industries and uh, should be big for us. That's good. And I was wondering, part of the reason why, like I was looking at asking you, um, so what are some things that issues people have with building a diet some of your clients and I guess this app is, seems to be like one of the things so it could be a tool yeah for sure it's yeah. not giving it's not giving specific you know dietary or training guidelines by any means um, but it it could be used as a tool in modifying those things or adjusting them got you yeah. cool and what's this app are you so I mean out of curiosity like you don't have to like, answer but I'm just curious how are you planning to monetize is it just like through it'll be a, business to business or it'll be a one time purchase at first yeah um, but as soon as we get the integration of the artificial intelligence uh, in machine learning we are going to uh, transition to a subscription model and that's it that's cool yeah so uh, it'll be uh, it'll be monetized on a subscription basis. We're also licensing it out to businesses. So uh, we've approached a few key businesses in, in you know, public sector, private sector as well uh, to implement with clients. Because I have seen that more and more. Like, I'll, be, I'll ask a person, oh, like, where do you train? He's like, oh, I train corporate. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, like, companies will bring me in. Yeah, and it's like, huge. Like, their, their employees' productivity is down, but a big part of that is, like, their, their physical and their, like, physical well-being and mental well-being is very poor man we could do a full podcast on that part of the way i've implemented the 10 minute walks is when when i feel that my focus at work is waning yeah i'll go for a walk we know that the longer you work the less productive you are yep so why not take some of that time away from the office to recharge your batteries exercise get your endorphins up get your mind working better your blood flowing Taking 10 minutes away to go for a walk to step back, you're actually more productive in the hours that you spend at work. So if I go from working eight hours to working seven, but I get 10 hours of work done in seven because I've taken that one hour to walk. Why wouldn't you do it? 
my bosses are happy. Yeah, absolutely. I hope none of them will listen to this, but there are <laughs> very few days when I work eight hours. Or well, seven. It's not about the hours. We just it's about it. You said that, but in the podcast we changed it. It was like I work eleven hours every day. Yeah. Yeah. No, but but it needs bosses. Like it's not <laughs> yeah. about the hours. It's about the value. Exactly. You know, exactly. that's what they don't care about the hours. Well, it's just that's like a what very, society. But does that's a very work. Western idea. Like like the more work equals better. Like there's other yeah. countries that are like less work equals more productivity because you're more focused while you work. A lot of companies are adopting that ma- that, yeah. that model too. Like you Younger. look at Shopify, like Shopify, oh, yeah. they have you have a workload, do your work. They don't tell you when to show up, they don't tell you when to leave, just to get your work done by this deadline. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much how my workflow is anyway. It's a task, like I have a caseload and a task task list. As long as I'm working through my tasks and handling my cases, Everybody's happy. Kind of That's the thing. I listened to uh, like an audiobook that I was saying that the brain has certain like you're, there's certain times where you're super active, right, and yep. you're super ready to do something. And so, um, and there are other times when you you're, you hit a slump. Yep. So I was hearing that the times you hit a slump, you should do the more remedial and repetitive tasks. But at times when you're ready to go, you should just do the hardest thing because like you can yep. navigate through it. So usually it's first thing in the morning when you get to work, you are the most analytical, so you'll do the hardest tasks, and then right before lunch. Uh, you'll get a bit tired, so you answer emails, write letters, things like that. You have your lunch, and then you're energized again. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the day, do your remedial task. But if you look at that, can you not see the influence of insulin on that? Mm-hmm. So if you're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're energized post-meal from the insulin spike. And then once insulin drops, you're tired, and then you reintroduce carbohydrates at lunchtime. You're more energized. So there, that's where diet factors into productivity as well. So just keep your insulin level stable throughout the day. You're probably going to be more productive as well. Wow. Well, because you at least you'd be consistent. Exactly. Mm. Shoot. And I was also going to ask about like the whole. So people on Instagram are messaging me about you know all these fads like intermittent fasting. Like I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm just saying it's, it's a, a fad. It's I a it's, it's a, a popular. Tool. It's a tool that's getting very popular at yeah, this time yeah. because yeah. people are focusing so much on strategies. And then they're not looking at habits, you know what I'm saying? So they'll do it because it's trending. So the, the, the expression I like to use is you don't want to major in the minor. So I don't want to have a PhD in calligraphy before I learn how to spell. If you're not sleeping your seven to nine hours, if you're not eating whole foods, if you're not living a quote unquote healthy lifestyle, All you're doing by intermittent fasting is you're eliminating one of the crappy variables for a certain period of time. So you're just saying, all right, I'm still going to have a shitty lifestyle, but I'm going to eliminate the shitty food for 16 hours of my day. Mm. And when it comes to weight loss, it's simply, if I only have eight hours to eat, maybe I'll eat less. So it still works on a caloric deficit. Yeah, Yeah. it's like, you know what, you're not eating breakfast like and you're having a late lunch and like and you're also fuller in that time period like yeah i i don't have a i don't i'm not against it no, fasting. it's like it's just it's like tool. it is a tool and it's like if that's the it's boxer kind of, uses it what's his name the boxer like the mma guy or whatever i don't know mcgregor no the uh, i think the french guy i can't remember oh like, george st pierre does. Yeah, yeah yeah there we go yeah. so the only thing i would say is like it's and then i totally agree it's like mountain molehill yeah. you're looking at the molehill but it's like it kind of goes back to the adherence thing yep. and like the diet you can follow is the best diet for you. Yep. So it's like when people are like intermittent, like, you know, if somebody came up to you and say, I want to be a power lifter, I want to do intermittent fasting, obviously you're going to be like, 
Uh, I'd probably say that's probably not going to be a great idea. Yeah. Um, if you time up your workouts properly, et cetera, et cetera, you might be able to get away with it, but it's not the most advantageous thing to do. Right. Um, there are other benefits to fasting, to ketogenic diets and things like that. So one of the benefits of fasting is you're spending an extended period of time with low insulin levels. So you can get more insulin sensitive by doing that. But again, if you're, if you are still f eating a, a poor diet outside of your intermittent fasts, you're not going to reap the benefits of that. The other benefit is uh, autophagy or cellular regeneration or cellular clean cleaning. So basically the, the cleaning crew of your body. So autophages will, will clean out dead cells and helps keep you youthful. Oh, cool. Yeah. But know you know what else causes autophagy? Sleep. And it's to a higher degree. Hmm. So if you're intermittent fasting, but you're getting crappy sleep, what's the point? Boom. I didn't even, I, so I knew about See, the autophagy about thing because yeah. I've heard of it. And like, that's like, and from what I understood, it's like they're pretty sure it's happening, but they're not like a They're not totally sure. They're not totally sure. So it's like their biggest argument, if it's autophagy, it's like, that's why I prefer the caloric argument over right. the autophagy argument. And with intermittent fasting and, and ketogenic diets, it, they are controlling one big factor. And we know that the higher your insulin levels over the course of your life, the shorter your life will be. Okay. High insulin levels are con like conducive to disease. So if I keep my insulin levels really low, I will, might be able to control my risk of disease. But there are a whole other slew of things that you're missing out on. For example, the gut microbiome feeds off of starches. So if you're not eating any starches in your diet, your microbiome will be at a detriment. So you might develop other issues. And we know <laughs> that the microbiome signals for, for gene activation. So if I'm not getting the proper microbiome dis, um, diversity, I'm probably not coding for all the genes that could be helping me with my longevity. So maybe I'm doing myself a disservice in that regard by not eating the foods that feed my microbiome. So, so genes. So, so real quick, man. Microbiome is the bacteria in your stomach that breaks Sorry. down food. Just in case. Yeah. That's like, not that's not the hard part. What about the gene activation? So well, no, but like like, like the microbiome is so important. Like. Yeah. People have no idea. Like genes, you genes are important, obviously. Yeah. But the bacteria in your stomach, like there was this comp, there were literally conferences on the microbiome, and there was like this. It's theory. becoming very, very big now. Yeah. Uh, hmm. There's more and more learning about it. Um, so you have three types of genes in your body. So three genomes. You have your human genome. You have your microbiome genome. Microbiome genome. Yeah. So the the microbiome has its own set of DNA. See, I didn't and even you know have that. mitochondrial DNA. <laughs> so your mitochondria has different DNA. Okay, yeah. I heard about that. But. So yeah. gene activation is essentially the gut bacteria creates species which stimulate certain, uh, certain genes mm -hmm. to code for proteins. The proteins have the action in the body. Hmm. So the proteins do the work. The genes have the, the guidelines for how to build the proteins. And the microbiome tell what genes to build what proteins. Hmm. Okay. So a good example is dairy. Yeah. So if you don't eat dairy, there's no gut bacteria to stimulate the genes for coding an enzyme to digest dairy. So that's why if you don't eat dairy, you develop lactose intolerance. That's crazy. If you just ate a little bit of dairy, not enough to make you sick, but just a little bit of dairy, within about a week, 
you could get yourself out of lactose intolerance. And there are some people that are, you know, genetically lactose intolerant and they can't do that. But for most people who've simply become lactose intolerant by eliminating dairy, within about a week. See, that, that's weird for me because I can do Greek yogurt and I'm fine. Yeah. But what but is it, Greek yogurt? It's dairy. It's a probiotic. Oh my god! Because like, because when I do whey isolate, I have a stomach ache yep. or I have bad gas. Yeah. And I always thought it would, maybe it had something to do with the speed of the digestion, but I guess because the Greek yogurt is paired with a probiotic, yeah. it helps me digest it. Ah. Oh. Blown away. Yeah, no, like, my, my brain. That's like that's like, the one. That, like the, next level the message of this this whole Instagram green yogurt <laughs> probiotic. Damn. No, because yeah. because um, so that sounds like it has something to do with becoming you, you know just like in a naive sense like oh if I if I go around germs I'm going to become more used to working being around germs does it have something a to little do with that? bit i know it's really naive a, but a little bit that's yeah. how i get that's how i get away with being a slob i'm like i'm just exposing myself to more germs so i become yeah, so stronger. You become stronger so yes exactly builds your immunity yeah um well it's the same like with a vaccine right a vaccine is just a broken down version of a disease yeah so you give your body a broken down version of a disease it creates antibodies you're less likely to get that disease yeah that that is one way to look at it the immune system is very heavily influenced by the microbiome as well so if you have poor microbiome, you're you're likely more susceptible to disease because you'll have lower immune function. How do you how do you feel about uh, pre and probiotics? Uh, I'm a big fan of probiotics. Um, I use a probiotic every day, um, and it has helped greatly with my stomach issues. Um, but when you look at my diet, I'm my diet would not be one to favor a, a diverse microbiome because I eat the same foods all day. Yeah, that's literally, that's exactly, like I take a probiotic, I eat the same, I could tell you what I eat every single day. Exactly, yeah. and I could do the same thing too. So that's, variety is very good for the microbiome. But here is, again, returning to the overarching theme is real food stimulates healthy gut bacteria. Real food is more satiating. Real food has more micronutrients. So by avoiding processed foods, you're probably going to be hitting on every point of a healthy diet. So uh, majoring in, oh, do I have a healthy microbiome? Well, who gives a shit if you're sleeping four hours a night? Who gives a shit if you're eating processed food? Like, you could take all the probiotics in the world if you're eating at McDonald's <laughs> three days a week. Yeah. You're probably going to be destroying whatever probiotics that you're getting. Like whatever probiotics you're taking in exogenously, it's probably getting destroyed. Like I saw a buddy of mine take a probiotic and then drink a Diet Mountain Dew. Oh man! I'm like, well, we know that artificial sweeteners are bad for the gut bacteria. Yeah. So he's taking a probiotic to fix his gut bacteria and then downing it with a Diet Mountain Dew. So that's probably not ideal. That's and like you know what? I drink diet soda. Diet, I don't care. Diet Pepsi? Everyone has their I'm a big choice. Diet Pepsi Coke guy. Zero. Uh, I, I don't... I, it's just not the same. I feel like Diet Pepsi is... Anyway, sorry. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, he's saying keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, major in the big points. Like, if you hit the big points, then dive into the to the nuance. Well, like, so even, even when you're hitting the big points, it's like to hit the... Like, my, my coach always says 
if 80% of your stuff is really well put when you want to go have that pizza or you want to go on a, yeah. a, a date night with your girlfriend and you want to get ice cream after absolutely go for that if anything that's probably better for your your stress and your mental health to have a little bit of a laxed meal once in a while absolutely you know what I mean but if you're doing what you're saying if you're getting that 80% of the time you're eating those whole foods you're cooking your food you're getting 7 to 8 hours 6 Seven. Uh, I want to say seven to nine, but I don't get nine. I never get nine. I get seven to eight hours of sleep. I every get night. seven. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could. Wish. Get, yeah. But like, yeah. it's like if you can get that eighty percent down, and like you know, if, don't look at that as like every day. It's like eighty percent of your week is good, mm. and then you have like a bad meal, or like you go to the cottage and you don't eat great at that that weekend or those couple of days. Yeah. Like, don't jump off a bridge. You're still fine because you did most of it right. Exactly. And, yeah. and there are things you can do to control. Like, if you're going to the cottage, we'll bring some of your meals. Yeah. Make sure that you do some extra walking if, you, if you're going to eat in a caloric surplus and that's not your goal. Um, but, like, something that I don't like to do is I don't like allowing my clients to plan cheat meals. Oh, okay. I don't say, you know, hey, you're going to have a cheat meal in two weeks. I say, if you go on a date with your wife or your girlfriend, enjoy your meal. Don't don't treat it as a cheat meal. Treat it as a date. Participate in the in the meal. Um, now, when I was dieting to try and get super lean, I didn't do that because that wasn't within my goals. My goals didn't allow me to take cheat meals. Mm-hmm. Right now, if if me and my wife want to go, like we have a traditional forty five minute sushi date because we live two blocks from ten sushi. Yeah, okay. Go. So we go in our fu- in our sweatpants crush sushi for 40 minutes and then take a two minute walk home right right but that's what we do and that's our date night and we enjoy it and then you know we live the rest of our lives we get right back on the train the next morning and have our breakfast and 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 live that's that's, but that like i often think that that's like is that like an athlete thing you know what i mean is that like a well, it's just like... Oh, because you're a bodybuilder. Well, no, it's, it's it's that. It's like, I can eat like shit one night, and then I'm back on it, and it doesn't phase me, and then I feel like... I don't think it's an athlete thing. I think it's a healthy relationship with food thing. Okay. I think a lot of people, uh, especially this day and age with the macro counting and with, uh, you know, all of these um, dietary strategies, they have a very unhealthy relationship with food. If you eat a meal, and then all you can think about is the next meal you have an eating disorder wow and and that's not necessarily to say that you're a shitty person or that you have a serious problem but that those are disordered eating habits your food should be fuel for training fuel for whatever your goals are fuel for your life yes food has a cultural component food has a social component and you should aim to participate in those as much as you can but you will, be, you will be doing yourself so much more of a disservice by eating a meal that's not quote-unquote on plan hmm. and then stressing about it, punishing yourself for it, and then you'll likely fall into a cyclical pattern of that. Instead of saying, I've had my 80% this week, I'd like to go have a meal out with my family, it's Thanksgiving, I'm going to eat more than I normally would, that's fine. I'll just go for a walk tomorrow morning, and I'll get right back on the diet. But when you say enjoy your meal, I didn't think of it that like you're you're saying screw like everything that I do. I'm 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 still feeling like you. Yeah, there's a component. Yeah, like maybe like try to in my head I'll be like oh maybe like try to 
aim for protein or try to aim for like I'll still be I feel I like they'd still I, be thinking about food. No, but I don't give any guidelines. I just say oh. literally enjoy your food. Yeah. Oh really? If you sit across if, if you if you say yeah. I'm gonna have a cheat meal, you're not gonna enjoy your cheat meal. You're gonna oh. hoover that burger and fries down as fast as you can. Right. So something I will say have a burger and fries. Enjoy the meal. So it's like a reward meal. It's not like a cheat it's meal. It's a reward. Yeah. It's part of the plan. It's it's you're rewarding yourself for some hard work and you're eating something that you want to eat, not something that you have to eat. And then you're going to continue on with your life. I actually don't even change the rest of my day's meals. So like if I know that I'm going out okay, for example, a couple weeks ago, me, my wife and a couple friends went for sushi after training. Yeah. So we trained. I I omitted my post-workout meal in lieu of the sushi. Yeah. I didn't count anything I was eating. I just ate till I was uncomfortably full. And then three hours later, I had my normal meal. And then three hours after that, I had my normal meal and I went to bed. And then I woke up and I had my normal meal and I just, it was just a meal that I didn't track. Yeah. And that's fine. I did have, I will say that by taking 10,000 steps a day, I did have a cheat meal a couple weeks ago. I had like a burger, fries, an extra side of fries, but I walked 15,000 steps and I lost a pound. <laughs> wow. Sweet. I feel like you, man, I feel like you track like everything. I just have that, like, you, I feel like you have a it's cool system it's going fun. on. It, it, yeah. It's fun. And I don't do it, uh, and I had this conversation with a friend of mine, he's like, he's like, you know, you can do stuff without tracking it. And then I was like, yeah, but how will I learn from that? And uh, as a coach, as a competitor, I'm always trying to learn how I can do things better. Yeah. Or how I can do things with less effort and get more of a result. So the lowest effective dose. So right now I'm just playing with, all right, well, if I get my 10,000 steps in, let's see how much food I can eat. I've kind of hit a barrier where I think I might start to put on some fat, but my body weight hasn't gone up yet. So I'm kind of there. I don't know what to do. But I'm playing with it. Had I just said, I'm just going to eat whatever I want, how am I going to learn from that? It's also yeah, it's also the consistency, right? Yes. So it's like, like, um, like the I was taking like away post workout, mm-hmm. and I I would did that every day, and every day after the workout because I did the same thing, I did the same measurements, I did the same carbs, and I was like, okay, something in here is giving me indigestion, something is upsetting my stomach, and then I switched it for a vegan source with like extra amino acids, in my my digestive issues went away and when you track stuff like that to that degree it makes those small details so much easier to notice what isn't measured can't be manipulated true no because like i mean if you if you listen to any, like we're listening to him the whole time and i could tell that he's like a scientist of his own body yeah like you're always trying to like oh, you, sure. you have your principles and you have your way of doing it but then you you know, you try to toss things at you to see what will happen because everyone, I feel like everyone is slightly different. Yeah, so, so for example, one thing that I tried, I tried the, so Stan Efferding in his vertical diet, he does chicken stock on his rice uh, as a means to get extra sodium, uh, extra collagen protein. And there's a lot of health benefits to that. Uh, chicken stock gives me heartburn. So I just couldn't do it. So I just don't do that. Yeah, but I wouldn't mean, have known if I didn't try. It doesn't mean you failed the vertical diet. It doesn't mean that I failed the vertical <laughs> diet, nor, do, nor did I follow it to a T uh, at first. But um, if I wasn't so consistent on the other factors in the diet, I wouldn't have known that it was the chicken stock that was giving me heartburn. Yeah. It could have been a multitude of other factors. Oh, but if you didn't track it, you wouldn't know. Exactly. Wow. And that's like the only case 
against variety in your food. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's yeah. that's the only case like then it's you more, don't know the tiniest oh, thing. True. Like you'd have to have a bit more of a well I added that yesterday, but mm. I added this as well. Like but again, I would also I would still argue variety is better like for health because yes. like what you're talking about is athlete performance. Yes. And like I do say that to people. I'm like being a bodybuilder or a powerlifter or an athlete has trends of being healthy, but is not in fact completely healthy. Yeah, my body not healthy. Okay. <laughs> from, from, like I'm sitting here, like my my feet have moved uh. around a ton because my knees are sore from front squatting, and I have a third of my quad is ripped off. Both my pecs have been torn. I've had both knees operated on. At least no concussions, right? Oh, I played football, man. I got oh, it's concussions. true. <laughs> I actually have more concussions playing basketball than I did playing football. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm hearing weird things like that. People playing soccer getting this uh, concussions. No, concussions true. are very common in soccer. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, well, they more keep than football. Hitting the ball with their head. What do they think? <laughs> that ball's going 90 miles an hour. Let me just knock that out of this. What do you think's gonna? Like, I don't they, know. Every time that Capitalism, happens, tell bro. me they don't just see white. capitalism. <laughs> yeah. bro, Bernie Sanders over here doesn't like that, eh? So. Uh, well, Changing like, the topic. I like Bernie Sanders, but we're not <laughs> talking the topic. about Bernie Sanders. Burn. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. But like that is something I do like because we have at my work we have this thing called the Wall of Fame, and it has all these pictures of bodybuilders, and then like average people will point at them, and they like, I just want, I just want to be like them. And I'm like, that guy is angry as shit. He his his testosterone and his hormone levels are all messed up right now because he's starving. He's probably he's almost beating his he's, wife. He's like super. I'm just playing. No, sorry, yeah, sorry, don't sorry, say sorry. that. Sorry. But he's like, you know, that's not healthy. That's a form of starvation. You know, so yeah. it's like you have to kind of take some of the romanticism out of like yeah. the sports because people. I'm like, that's not being healthy. Being healthy is like general well being. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is very different than being a high-performance athlete. You're trading any athlete, athletic sport. It doesn't matter what it is. Golf, um, hell, even darts. Like, if you do something over and over and repetitive, you will get injured. You will get hurt. I remember a, a, a mother of a chi- of a kid came up to me. I was like, oh, you know, lifting weights this heavy isn't healthy. And I said, ma'am, your son plays hockey. She's like, yeah, hockey's a healthy sport. And I looked at her and I said, in what world is skating around on ice with a razor blade chasing after a piece of frozen rubber with, with other grown men running face first into your face healthy? With a stick. With a stick. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing body armor. Yeah. Yeah, like, That's so not. healthy. No. Um, and she was... She didn't like my answer very much, but... Uh, you like word for word? That's what you said? 100%. <laughs> I don't really sugarcoat No, things. no. That's perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I couldn't do the powerlifting as a sport because, like, I mean, after football was done, one thing I noticed, you can just, like, train and there's no season. So you just oh. always get stronger. It's just like, it's like, oh, my God, I'm just... To a point, man. Yeah. At, to a point, like, I haven't... I've PR'd my total once in three years. Oh, like, I mean, you've PR'd all year, three of your lifts like, in one... Yeah, uh, like, I've improved my total once in three years. So, oh, I see. So it takes, once you get to a certain level, it takes a lot of time. So my best total is 1,960 pounds. Is that uh, raw? Or? Yeah, so in knee wraps. Okay. So I've squatted 805 pounds, I bench pressed 430 pounds, and I deadlifted 725 pounds. In one meet, that's In crazy. one meet. So to best that has been very challenging and it's been 
you know, I've gotten a few injuries the last three years. I had a knee surgery, and uh, it's been an upward climb. And it, the one thing it has taught me is that it just takes time. So I've been squatting over 800 pounds for four years now. Hmm. That's a long time. That's a lot of 800-pound squats. A lot of volume. A lot of volume over 800. So that all accumulates, and that hmm. I just have to be healthy enough in a position to like to display that strength. And I haven't been able to do that in a while. So hopefully, I'm competing next in November. Um, hopefully, uh, moving to Calgary in December. Oh, and, you're moving. Yeah, moving to Calgary. My okay. wife got a promotion. Nice. Um, and uh, well, hopefully by then the app money's taken off. You can. I'll be a multi bazillionaire. There you go. Oh, sell yeah. it. Sell it to Microsoft. Or whatever. Yeah. Paul Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> And, the health uh, and wellness Zuckerberg, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of big things on the go. Um, still coaching athletes online, master athletic performance. Um, still working as a functional rehabilitation specialist for Manulife. Uh, doing seminars with uh, myself, Jay Nira, and Jordan Shallow, the muscle doc, uh, called Barbell Technician. Okay, tell me more about these seminars. I was just... so Barbell Technician. It's a it's an NSCA accredited. Uh, course one day seminar uh, qualifies for 0.7 CEUs so con continuing education units okay um, and uh, we put on one here in Ottawa we'll be putting on one in Winnipeg in the next couple months uh, and looking to do some more uh, across North America because of the accreditation so yeah um, yeah so that's that's getting big I do a, a little bit of on uh, in-person consults for for training and rehab and uh, and then working on my app uh, with with Jay One Life in, One Life Incorporated. That's nice, nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like that's a natural end to the podcast because I feel like we could go for days. Yeah, with man. More questions. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. No. Like I've I've really you know just keep the main thing the main thing. That's one thing Honestly, I took away. If you can take so. away anything, it's Greek yogurt's a probiotic. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing I learned in this, in this like hour and a half no I'm joking Oni's ready to punch him out yeah, he's like, I taught you so much I taught you so much and like, all you remember just like the clients right like, yeah. oh man <laughs> I should have shared more Natu stories yeah uh, uh, Natu when he runs so we tried to teach Natu how to sprint oh no Natu runs like a cartoon character breaking through a wall <laughs> Oh, just bruh, just oh, yeah. fighting the air. Yeah, right? just like oh, my arms went like Breathe sideways, so fast, like so fast. No, you made your your program made me like a like fast at like like just sprinting. Like I feel like that was your program. One thing it took away, like I started to run fast as hell. Like my, right. my butt just got so there big. There you go. His butt uh, got huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like my butt strength transferred. All right. That's, All right. Anyway, we're, so we're leaving it on Natu's butt. <laughs> Natu's butt's huge. Huge ass. Uh, There's a reason sports cars engines are in the trunk. <laughs> Alright, have a good one guys, thanks for listening in. Yo, that was awesome, man. Thank you so much. That was so yeah. fun. Yeah, and, man, uh, I learned some good crap. If, uh, if any of those guys... Yeah.